humans, welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. We're your hosts, Lauren and Adam. We dive headfirst into conversations breaking down things like religion and purity culture, sex, spirituality, and the world around us. Although we now consider ourselves to be somewhere between agnosticism and mystical atheism, we often speak from our experiences from our time spent in the Christian music industry and religious upbringing. We bring on a variety of guests to hear their story and help demystify topics that we were once taught to fear or ignore, expanding the lenses through which we see the world. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. Let's talk about abortion. Yeah. <laughs> what a transition. <laughs> um, Do we just cut that straight into the podcast? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay, so this was something that I'd been wanting to talk about because, again, it's like more of just a topic to to discuss rather than a faith thing. But faith is involved Um in this, especially because I opened the floor to anyone and everyone who had any comments, questions, concerns, hot takes or anything. Um, I know you're not really on social media all that much anymore, but um, I opened it up for anybody on our stories or even in oh. the comments of the picture of you um, and also on my stories too. basically like I literally just wrote abortion. And then gave a, a question box. So. Gotcha. We did get a lot of responses. And I know you've done the abortion video, your abortion video. And then you also, before that, and I don't, I don't know, I didn't look at the time, but I know before that you had made one or maybe even two videos on um, how you are a pro-choice Christian. Like, why that was a thing. Um, so, first of all, when you made those videos... Um, did you, did you know that you weren't going to say that you had an abortion? Like, or was that like, oh, let me feel it out whenever I talk about, you know, why it is I'm pro-choice? Um, no, I very intentionally held on to my story as long as I wanted to, mm. because I just didn't want anyone to be given an excuse to not listen to me. Yeah. Uh, because this subject is so dear to my heart. And it's not just because I've had an abortion. It's because of everything that I've learned about it. It's because all of the injustice and heartache that surrounds it. And it's because we're in this crucial moment in our history where our rights as women are being violated all the time um by people in government so it's just like we're back to where we started i remember when i did the march after donald trump won here in los angeles and my sign said um our mothers already marched for this don't make our daughters too mm. and yeah, that's, that's exactly how i feel i don't know if i coined that i thought i did in a moment unless i heard <laughs> it somewhere else but like, that was just my genuine output of how I felt like we need to get to a place where we are in complete agreement about the fact that we need to protect 
vulnerable people in our society and we need to protect a person's right to choose whether or not they're going to carry a baby. And furthermore, we need to protect them before they get pregnant. So maybe just maybe less people will actually need abortions. And banging my head against walls, having these circular conversations with conservative people, like even when I present every fact, and I'm talking capital F-A-C-T, they will still be like, oh, well, I'm still not comfortable voting Mm. (laughs) pro-choice. Like, and I'm talking about facts that are like, every time there's a system in place with a democratic leadership, they put forth policies that prevent abortion. I'm like, less babies will die. And people are still like, ears closed, don't care, not going to listen. And it's, it's mind boggling and, and so frustrating. And again, the last thing I wanted to do is have anyone give anyone the ability to say, oh, you're just saying this because you had one. Right. Right. I mean, it, the videos are, I'm, all of them are beautiful. Um, your, your own story and the way you shared was, was beautiful. And I know it was so heartfelt, but I, I remember watching the, the initial pro-choice, um, I don't, I don't remember how, what you titled it, but I think it was like pro-choice Christian or something. Um, those videos. And at the time I, I was very much like very confused. Cause I'm like, I'm, I considered myself liberal and progressive Christian at the time, but I still was like, I don't know. I'm still like a liberal progressive Christian that's pro-life. You know, that's like where I was at. And I was like, I really need more information. And so anyway, I watched your videos and I, um, was looking at the uh, all the sites that you had mentioned and all the things like that, and I was like, "Wow!" So I learned a lot, and I I personally am pro-choice now. Um, but awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've and I have been for, I mean, basically since those videos came out. So that's I'm a personal testimony to those videos. Mm. To me, it just seems like, it, it, I guess it it's just so obvious as to why we have the issue that we have right now in politics with. Um, safe abortion care and uh, as you just said brenda like your experience your personal firsthand experience somehow disqualifies you from being able to speak on the subject (laughs) Mm -hmm. and 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 somehow makes it so that you're too emotionally invested in something that you're talking about facts you're talking about legislation and the the opposition is that they feel uncomfortable about it and that's just like that to me shows a full picture of everything that I need to know about why things are going the way that they are because mm. the primary driver for any sort of decision to be made should be handled by those with firsthand experience. Yeah, in it. People are like, oh, you, you have no experience with this? Please talk about it. And those who have, <laughs> please shut up. We don't want to hear from you. Well, I am not a man hater at all, especially if men are like Adam, for the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Adam is such a mega dreamboat. Um, I agree. <laughs> but um, I'm really not. I am an advocate for men. Like I, I have done so much research. Like a book like Peggy Ornstein's uh, called Boys and Sex is something I reference all the time because she studied 
prepubescent and pubescent boys, um, like hundreds of them about the subjects of sex and the things that men go through, the things that stifle them, that bring them pain, um, that cause them true harm are really rooted in these sexual dysfunctions that we bestow upon our youth by keeping them ignorant, by leaving them with porn or firsthand experience as their only ability to learn what's going on, not giving them like tools to advocate for themselves. Like I spoke to a friend who, frankly, I mean, I don't even know if you'd consider it rape I don't know how to technically call it but basically like just feeling so overwhelmed by women giving him a guilt trip like if he goes on a date and they're like but don't you think I'm pretty and he'll end up having sex with people who doesn't even want mm. to and things like that are like the these are traumas no matter male female mm. non-binary like whatever you are nobody should be having sex that's not that's free of enthusiasm mm. and We've done all of our youth a disservice and so many generations a disservice by not giving people the tools to like advocate for themselves and to advocate for the person they're in the situation with. So all of that said, though, the amount of men that come at me that have something to say about abortion, the amount of men that build their entire platforms and careers, <clears throat> Ben Shapiro, on... <laughs> abortion mm. is like excuse me sir dick having person could you sit down like do you not have a female friend who could say the same dumb ignorant things you do like i'm sure someone else could fill in this gap and still portray the message that you're trying to but it's like i don't know what it is like i think it maybe it's some sort of savior complex like men maybe feel hopeless in the situation or they feel it's the one thing they don't have control over so they position themselves so easily as like someone that's come to save all of us and a lot of men too will be outside of the abortion clinics with those signs and it's it's mind-boggling i don't i don't really know adam do you have a theory on why this is such a male-run space as far as speaking about it publicly and politically well honestly i just think it's because men are so uncomfortable with it they try to make it disappear and it's, I think it's a responsibility thing. I think it's a shame cycle. I think it's, I think it's a control mechanism over something that's finally not in the hands of men. Like it's, it's, it's one thing that men born gendered male don't have control over is birth and abortion. And so in any sort of capacity that they possibly can, they interject themselves into the narrative. And that is just so problematic because that starts, in my opinion, in this in this kind of train, I guess, that, that it feels like it's headed on for me. Uh, it starts with emotion because it starts with insecurity, because it starts with a lack of control. And it feeds mm. itself into an attempt to grasp at facts that back up their, their narrative so that they can start taking pieces of that back and they can start building rules and structures around what it is that they want to be able to put into a box and define and catalog and create rules around. And, and once it starts becoming this like circular architecture, it, it just itself feeds and they refer to their own facts to try to 
bolster their own emotional opinions as to why things need to be the way that they say they are when in fact it's as so many people say not their bodies it's not their choice and i think it's i think it's a symptom of of patriarchal insecurity i wonder how you change someone's mind like that or get them to be an advocate for women instead of working against us because i do believe what you are saying and at the same time it felt like oh this is a cynical point of view there must be some noble feel they have about what they're doing but like it does cause so much destruction in real time that it's hard not to be cynical about why men are in this game. Well, and I think though that's that's why feminists are doing so much work for female and male empowerment and trans empowerment and non-binary empowerment because when when you get stuck in these cycles of insecurity and shame, then you end up trying to exert power over something that you don't have control over to 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 try to regain control. But I think if we can just as men sit back for a second and realize that the work that's going into liberation of women and the liberation of, of everyone and the freedom that's that so many people are fighting for in that space and sexual repression um, and, and sex education and all of that. If we could just sit and realize that all of that is freeing us too all of the taking shame away from sex work, taking shame away from pornography, taking shame away from polyamory um, and just leaning into enthusiastic consent and leaning into space for people to really um, take a journey with what their sexual expression looks like and their gender expression looks like. If we can just realize that the freedom that, so many men are pushing back against to try to regain control over is actually going to help free us and free them then I I guess that would be that would be the way that I would imagine we could pull some men into this but I feel like that just takes a lot of um, vulnerability from men that Mm. that I don't think is that a lot of men are not invited into Mm. on a regular basis Mm -hmm. Mm, yeah. And this is, I mean, I'm not discriminating against straight men, but I've just found in my recent dating history that I keep dating bisexual men. Mm. And it's because for me personally, and the observing that I've done, they have faced a reckoning inside of themselves, like the yeah. reckoning of like, what makes me a man and what has society told me about how I use my body and who I'm attracted to and what this means about whether or not I can please a woman or whether or not I'm really, you know, something my dad would be proud of. It's like anyone that's had to reckon with their sexuality, I think, or maybe not anyone, but the people I've been dating that seems to have gotten them to a level of vulnerability and self-honesty that is very attractive and very compassionate towards not only others, but in, in themselves. Mm. Yeah. I would, I, I would venture to say that vulnerability and authenticity is one of the most attractive things, like qualities a person can have. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it leads to the most freedom for everybody. Exactly. And then therefore mm-hmm. the most fun. Yeah, the best sex for sure. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. Um, so 
you know, like I, I had mentioned that, like I opened the floor. So I do have some responses from people. And I was wondering if you were cool to talk about some of the responses. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, so this person said, hot take, you can be pro-life and vote pro-choice. Pro-choice voting results in fewer abortions. Um, agree. And so, agree. Um, and you kind of mentioned that. So, and you kind of mentioned the the uh, pointing towards the facts of that. Do you want to, like, go into that real quick if anyone's, like, curious about the actual facts of the <laughs> Democratic leaders or what voting pro-choice, how that could be pro-life in a sense yeah <laughs> what does um, that mean <laughs> so yeah I agree with this statement 100% and that's what I say as well I am holistically pro-life and this is why I vote pro-choice and it is seriously just an issue of language because when you look at policies the policy makers and then the results of those policies it is abundantly clear, not only nationally, but internationally, that when you provide people with comprehensive sex ed, especially from a young age, you're doing like five-year-olds are learning about consent in an, in an appropriate way that's non-sexual. And then it builds and builds and builds from there, age appropriate. Um, that's very rare in the United States, unfortunately. But Hypothetically, if we had that, if we had access to birth control, contraceptions, and if we had easy access to clinics that took care of people, we would have significantly lower numbers of abortion. And it's shown in like the Norwegian countries, which isn't quite fair because they are so different than us. But we can anecdotally look at it in the United States as well. Texas, in comparison to California, is like astronomical. California has far less abortion than Texas. And you look at that and you're like, this isn't just like a laughable bit of irony. This is reality. And uh, it really hurts my heart that people will go in a voting booth and click pro-life and just not even want to look any further. I do think it's an aversion to the toughness of life. It's an aversion to looking into the gray spaces and complicated areas of this subject. Because if you were really willing to look at it like you were, Lauren, and I so deeply appreciate that, then you couldn't in good conscience vote Republican currently. I mean, if Republicans want to change their tune, fine. But currently, they provide people some of the worst abortion rates in the land. Alabama is another one that's absolutely atrocious. And then also the concept of pro-life, if it's not holistic and it doesn't stretch to prison row inmates, if it doesn't stretch to the compassionless way that we treat and slaughter animals, then you're not actually... Like you're pro whose life, what are you actually advocating for? You're just saying every woman that gets pregnant must carry forth her child. What about, you know, Purvis Payne, this intellectually disabled man that's been wrongfully on death row for decades? What of him? Are you pro-life about him? Or is it just this lazy avoidant kind of action you're doing to feel like you're on the quote right side of history mm. yeah 
I agree. <laughs> um, and to be fair, you know, I we we got we got lots of responses, and some of them were people from uh, who consider themselves to be pro life. Um, still, uh, and yeah. or as well, I don't know if I could say still. That's not fair. But then again, I want them to be pro choice. So maybe that's <laughs> why I say still. Um, but someone said, I'm pro-life and volunteer weekly at a pregnancy resource center that provides things like pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, parenting classes, material assistance, um, post-abortive or post-miscarriage counseling, and more to people in need. All this for free. And it seems like the abortion industry profits from people's pain, mistakes, and hard time in hard times. It's hard to reconcile with. My response to that is that we wouldn't need a quote abortion industry if the government would step in and do the right thing. Yep. Essentially what that woman is doing is helping a very, very tiny pocket of a tiny portion of the United States of America. I don't know how many people they serve, but even if it was a hundred thousand, it wouldn't be enough. And that is not at all to poo-poo the work that she's doing, which could be beautiful. It could be antagonistic. I don't know. There's, it vacillates on whether or not these pregnancy centers are actually allowing women to have true autonomy without shame. Mm. Um, Because if you're using an ultrasound to shame a woman out of an abortion, that is not an adequate tool Mm. to actually like, give someone peace about that decision. Um, but that said, like, let's say that this is a beautiful pregnancy center where women are making autonomous choices. They're being provided their needs. They're being provided medical services for free. They are assured that they are not going to be late on rent, that they're going to be able to keep the heat and the lights on. They're going to be able to feed their children well into school. Like, again, also a lot of these pregnancy centers how long will you champion these families? Are you taking care of these children? Are you making sure they're not going hungry until they're 18? Mm. Or are you just making sure the woman is like sort of set on the right path? And I know this all sounds cynical and I don't mean to be, because again, this particular clinic could be awesome, but I've done extensive research on pregnancy clinics and a lot of them are not up to par, but even if they were, hypothetically, if all of these places were, then still I say, please, please, please vote pro-choice because pro-choice policy makers are advocating to provide all of these services for everyone that wants to have a child. So advocate for it on the larger scale of society. We need you to vote pro-choice so that there is no abortion industry. People don't want an industry of abortion maybe there's i mean yes planned parenthood has been trapped in some seedy scandals and i am not a denier of that whatsoever but the fact of the matter is that money is corruptive there is a lot of corruption from top to bottom all over our nation and the one place we can come through for people is to advocate for those that want to be able to have a child. No one yeah. should have to have an abortion because they couldn't afford it. No one should have to have an abortion because they didn't know that the pullout method wasn't effective. If we would just take care of people from the beginning of their life and stop marching through the streets with the activist mommy parading against comprehensive sex ed, 
if we'd stop celebrating Mike Pence shutting down all these clinics, which really just meant that women had to get later term abortions in mm. different states and travel on their own dime, like it doesn't prevent anything. Like the resources this woman is explaining are exactly what we, what we need. And I commend her for doing that and being a part of it again, as long as there's no shame involved. Yeah. And um, yeah, pro-choice is the way to do it. Somehow we've gotten tricked into thinking as a company, or as a company, no, as <laughs> which the United States as a company we, may be a little bit more accurate. Oh yeah, might as well, yeah. But as as a nation, we've somehow gotten tricked into the fact that comprehensive health care is a luxury, and that only yeah. only the rich can access health care, and so those that are uh, blue collar workers that are just barely making it by in a small town in Indiana, they're they're seeing these women be accessing comprehensive health care and they're seeing that as something that's just you know this is just for people who have money to throw around they're seeing this as somebody who just doesn't want to deal with x y or z because because they they have a different type of lifestyle that they want to live that doesn't require them to be at a nine to five or whatever it is that that that's going through these people's minds but if we just had the conversation about the right to comprehensive health care as as mm. a country, then this wouldn't be a problem. Then the 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 situation that she's bringing up that is privatized for profit health care is not a viable business model because it's there's no need for it because we have access as a country to health care. And I think that's Amen. I think that's where the spiral kind of starts on that because because if We've we've grown to expect privatization and corporate businesses taking over spaces and and charging exorbitant fees for things that are just routine and things that we actually need to survive and that survival has become a commodity. And I think that whole that whole narrative, I I don't know I don't know. I hope I hope to see that as we move into a space where we start to realize that we need to care for each other and that pro-life means pro-life. Yeah. And, and it's just, there's so many, there's so many illogical arguments that are coming out just because people are trapped in this mindset that we aren't owed a healthy life so that we can go and out into the world and actually build community and not be worried about just making money to to survive. Yeah, exactly. I have a friend who is very wealthy and her father got sick and we were having conversation and she was like, I'm scared, but you know, we have the best health insurance money can buy. And that sentence went swimming in my head mm. for weeks. I was like, the best health insurance money can buy. It's like Jeez. echoing off the walls in my brain as just this is at no offense to my friend at all it it was an offensive statement that it exists yeah why is that a thing and of course it completely is we have different tiers of like what we deem people worthy of and it's all based in finances finances do not make you a worthy or unworthy person and yet yes. here we are stuck in these systems and i um had health insurance when I first got pregnant. And then um, my bill was meant to be between 
$6,120,000 is what I was quoted. So it's like the lower that you can pay for your insurance, like if you're already living at a poverty line or if you're middle class, sometimes they're the worst off. It's really confusing when I see middle class people not advocating for universal health care because I'm like, we all get it the worst in the middle class as far as like not having access to governmental resources and yet not having the ability to take care of ourselves. Um, like I also had someone that I spoke to who would not change her position on abortion. She was like, no, I'll always vote pro-life. I'm, I'm a Republican through and through. And then she gave this story about how her uncle had been saving up his whole life and did everything right and had his retirement fund. And then he got cancer and lost all of it within two months. And I'm looking at her across the table and I'm like, but you are, you're still anti-universal. Did you not just hear what you said? Right. You know, it's like those feel good stories on Facebook where it's like the community came around and supported this one person to, to help them pay for their whatever surgery or care or whatever it is. And, and it, and on surface level, it's like, oh, that's amazing. We love that people have such good communities and people are so good hearted. When in reality, we should be asking why that person, why the community is the people that needs to support access to something like that. Exactly. And people are given this narrative by the wealthiest in our nation that, oh, you don't want your taxes to go up if if you vote for these programs if you vote for universal health care you'll be taxed out of your butt and i remember bernie sanders had laid out a really concise plan that the middle class and um poverty level people would not have suffered through it it was based on wealthy people taking more care of it and of course it's not surprising that the narrative then being given to all of us from the upper echelons of the world would be fear like be afraid of this they're going to tax you so much you're not going to be able to survive and it's like yeah but you just gave two hundred dollars to your friend kathleen because she needed a gofundme to help her kid with leukemia like wouldn't like why don't we just take that out of your taxes we're all needing to come through and support each other and then god forbid something happens to us and we can be completely screwed in a heartbeat and Like, we need to live in a nation where no one has to say no to a pregnancy due to money. And people act like it's such a luxury. Like, people like Ben Shapiro just make jokes about women keeping their legs closed and making sure they're married first. And it's like, you know, a woman living in poverty is not less moral or ethical than a Kardashian. But as far as we know, the Kardashians have babies because, like, why not? If I had money, like... Mm. I'd pump them out whenever I wanted to. I'm really not sure. Money was a huge part of the reason yeah. why I had an abortion. Right. Right. And that just shouldn't be the case. That's that's unjust. We're not talking about a luxury item. We're not talking about Louboutins. We're talking about survival. The right to create a family. Mm. Yeah. Had you um had you been pro choice for a while before you came to that time in your life when you did get an abortion, or was that a kind of a pivotal point for you well here's where i can have compassion on people that do just want to have the ignorance is bliss thing because i was the kind of person that was like i'm not going to have a hard line on this because it doesn't have anything to do with me which we've already stated i wish more men would take that stance um 
So that's <laughs> that's honestly the way I felt about it. I was definitely conflicted about the morality of it. Mm-hmm. And I, by my own definition, have called sin. I just keep saying sin causes harm. Yeah. And it's inputting harm in yourself. It's exporting harm. It's it's doling out shame, pain, and fear to others. It's ingesting those emotions. Like you're hurting. You're you're being destructive. So in that way, if I'm going to be intellectually honest about what I believe, then abortion would be categorized as a sin. You are absolutely. I don't want to say killing something, but it's. It's a violent act. It is definitely something that was very complicated for me and that continues to be very complicated for me. And at the same time, I have really been leaning into these ideas that a lot of things in life have more neutrality than we allow them to have in our emotional minds. Mm -hmm. Like, I just lost my dog to a hit and run on Thanksgiving And dogs and babies are always going to pull on people's heartstrings because they are the absolute angels of the world. You Mm. know, if we talk about, quote, purity, they have them. Mm. They have that character trait. And um, watching my dog in a position where his body was, like, violently taken from me, all his ribs were broken, and... He was left on the side of the road for 15 minutes by the person who hit him. And um, another family had to come and call me so that I could come running. And I like laid with them, him while he died. (laughs) So so that's something I've been going through since Thanksgiving. And it's been excruciating, but it's also like a really similar reckoning to when I had an abortion, like not the same, but similar in that, it's made me question, like, well, where do we go? What happens when we enact a bit of violence against each other or ourselves, even if it's unintentional, even if it's out of necessity? Like, if a woman can't afford to have a baby, or with me, I was in that situation, and I was in an abusive uh, relationship that I really didn't want to bring a child into, um, like, what do you do with those complicated nuances of the subject because they are real and this man that came by that hit my dog didn't do out of malice it was an accident I hate the way he behaved in the aftermath but all of that said like I felt the presence of my dog around me my baby never brings me anything but like you know how babies usually like will bring over food or bring toys to you he hasn't done things like that and I was just like sitting alone with myself and Valentine was playing in the room and I kept looking to him for a sign I was like tell me tell me Van is here tell me where he is and Mm -hmm. um while trying not to uh (laughs) harass him too much (laughs) he's like pre-verbal he's not even two yet but he started bringing me Van's collar and he kept placing it on my lap. Yeah. And he did it three or four times in one night. And I finally was like, okay, I almost don't want to believe in the goodness of this. It seems too good to be true that my little spiritual buddy, like my little tiny best friend would be sending me some message from the ether Mm through my baby because I like couldn't receive it on my own. I was just 
so worried. I felt so guilty about what I felt I had allowed happening to him. And, um, but I had a similar thing with my abortion right after I had it. And, you know, you can watch the video because I go through the whole detail of it. But in the aftermath, I was talking to a Christian couple and they consider themselves prophets. And I always tell people it's synonymous with psychic, really. It's like they just have this beautiful power to tap into the beyond. And they had been so pivotal for me in different moments in my life. And I really trusted this couple. And after I had the abortion, I remember I was like sitting on the kitchen counter of my old apartment and I was just kicking my legs and I was in just so much pain emotionally spiritually I just had no idea how to even define myself at that moment and um I remember that I had felt that it was a girl I had a very distinct feeling that it was a she and as soon as this prophet got on the phone his name is Roger the first thing he said to me before I said anything was she's around you Mm. and I, of course, like burst into tears because it was, again, one of those moments that just felt too good to be true. It was like, but have I not done irrevocable harm? Have I not caused the destruction of something so innocent and sweet? Like, could it be true that she has enough grace to be hovering around me? But this is what he said. And then he said, ask her her name. And I heard Rose. And... I devoted the beginning of my book to her. It says to Valentine and to Rose. And I've called her Rose ever since and given her that name or she gave it to me, it felt like. And then Roger said, do you need her? She is worried about you. She sees what you're going through and she wants to know if you need her to stay. And I was like so humbled and shocked because y'all know what it is to be in the evangelical Christian atmosphere. Like having a Christian person, not only not judge me for something I considered to be the most depraved thing I'd ever done, but also to have like the audacity to suggest that the being that I just said no to and terminated actually still cared for me and still hovered around me. Mm. It was just like, can this be true? This Mm. sounds too good to be true. And I was crying and just said, well, no, of course not. Like I felt that she had knocked on my door because now I look at it more and more like women, our bodies, or, you know, people that have babies, our bodies are portals from wherever we came. Like no one really knows where we are before we get here. We are the portals. Our bodies are. So I truly felt like this spirit knocked on my body and wanted to come through me. And I said, no. And I had so many regrets about saying no. And I was so worried that that meant like church told me that she would have no hope that she was dead. Like they just say, you say, no, the baby dies. It's over. And this was the first time I started really reckoning with like, well, who told me that? And why do I believe that? And what does this mean? And I still vacillate because I don't really know what to do with it. But I do remember that I had said, no, like she, please, she is released. If she has somewhere else to go, may she find another portal. Mm. And 
Roger just said, that's right. That's the right thing to do. And we just cried together and we said a prayer to release her. And that was that. Do you ever feel like, like, do you ever get like visits from Rose or anything like that? Or do you think it's like, she's just passed on completely? It feels like she was intent on entering this world Mm. and that if she wasn't going to find that entry point through me, that it was going to be through someone else. Mm. And I think that's why she asked permission to go, which is so compassionate and still having these things come out of my mouth just sounds like, I don't know. I think the script that runs through my head that's based in shame is like, oh, aren't these convenient excuses mm. to not have to feel bad about what you've done, you know? Mm. Mm. And um, and that sucks because at the same time, if I just play with what I was deeply feeling in those moments, what he told me was true at that time and yeah. how it made me feel was genuine. And yeah. But I also, I think that I had always thought of her. I always wondered if I might run into her at some point, Mm. maybe meet her one day without hope. Like I even had said that I was like, well, please tell her if she wants to come back, I will rearrange my whole life to make sure that she can get back to me. I will dump this guy. I'll do whatever it takes to make her safe with me. And he said it's not right to tether a soul to you you Mm. either set her free or you don't Mm. and I was like okay well then she's free and it was excruciating I remember I even wanted to get pregnant again immediately Mm. to just like ask her to come back to me and the worst 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 moment of my life um was I had a panic attack the day after I had the procedure because I felt the presence of her and then I felt the absence of her. Mm. And that's why I can't really be talked out of the concept of spirit at conception. I think the concept of life at conception is complicated because linguistically there's a lot of confusion around life, like biologically, nobody is set on where it starts but I do know that I felt presence and I felt absence. Mm. Hey everyone. Want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. But I love that the, the, the spirit goes on though. Like, especially in any sort of Christian belief circles, like if there is a heaven and there is hell and there is consciousness and there is spirit, like I feel like there's, there's an obligation for, for the nonlinear journey of spirit that it just like, it does continue that, that a baby not being born into this world doesn't mean the end of that spirit. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, it may it may bar the life that you're talking about from from entering the world, but that spirit does just it does just continue. It does still live out its experience. Mm. 
Yeah. And I did feel her in specific moments, namely during the shooting of my video and a little bit afterwards. I felt that she had gone away. And I thought of her often, but just in my intellectual, spiritual processing of the situation, I didn't feel presence like that again. But when I did that video, I was like, you know what? She taught me I was worth something. My entire book, On Her Knees, is about this excruciating journey of believing that I wasn't worthy of love because I had lost the most important character trait that a woman can possess, which is, quote, virginity. I really behaved with less and less sexual integrity as my journey went on because I wasn't given the tools of consent and um, self-worth and knowing how to advocate for myself, all of those things. Like the reason I got pregnant with someone that I would never want to have a baby with at all is because I was really crawling across the floor, bleeding out in my sexuality. I was not healthy. I was not okay at all. When I see photos of myself from that era, it's, I try and it's gotten easier to have compassion for that version of myself, but she's a mess. I I can't even believe I was like walking around like that. And the healing of that was propelled originally by Rose. She was the one that kicked my ass into gear and made me realize that if I wanted to get better and heal and get back to a place of sexual wholeness and integrity, that I would need to honor the idea that I want to be a mother. And in order to do that, I have to be having good sex with good human beings that I would be able to procreate with, you yeah. know? Yeah. And she helped me treat myself better. She helped me do all of those things. And when I was shooting the video, I realized that she saved me from that relationship. The first thing that I did was dump that guy. Yeah. And like, I wish so much that it didn't take that a tragic event to stir that in me, but she was the final straw and she did propel me into so much growth and healing. Mm. And you, you mentioning the, you wanted to, you know, be with a partner or have a partner that you could feel comfortable and safe procreating with. And you do have a son now. Mm-hmm. Yes. And one of the questions that we got or you got was how did your experience with your own abortion affect your pregnancy with your son? Um, how did it affect your pregnancy whenever, um, yeah, you had Val? I will just say the truth, which is that it really didn't come up Mm. by that time. I had had, levels of peace that I'd made with the situation. And if anything, to me, it just reaffirmed that there is healing and joy beyond these traumatic life experiences, because Mm -hmm. it, it was definitely up there on one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. So just I say it and on her knees too. Like when I was at Bergheim dancing at that nightclub, 
I was like, I don't know if I'll ever be worthy of having a child um, after what I've done, but oh my God, I want it. I want to invite that love into my life. So it feels redemptive. And at the same time, I think it's okay to not overthink it because Mm. not everybody needs to find their redemption from Mm. abortion. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't, to me, it doesn't require redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, women feel very differently about the situation. Like this is only my story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I love that. There's not like, it's not like to, uh, there's not like an end point. There's not like a, where you need to get to after abortion. I, I like that terminology. Yeah. Um, someone mentioned, and I don't know if you, you know what they're referring to, but they said, Christians say it's a sin. I'm talking about abortions, like say it's a sin, but God killed his adult son. So I think he's okay <laughs> with it. And then said the only mention of abortion in the Bible is instructions from God on how to do it. Right. I mean, I love when people bring up this dissonance between what, <laughs> the moral majority that was created in the seventies has to say about abortion versus what the actual Bible says about the value of children's lives. Right. (laughs) Very different. And, um, even like I've been reading the Bible so much more. I feel like I was reading it upside down and I turned it right side up. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. just recognizing the humanity of the people included and the humanity of the translators and the humanity of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, even the humanity of Jesus, like he came in human skin for a reason in my, in my personal belief system, it was because humanity is not supposed to be this purely foul, disgusting, awful thing. It it has so much value. Like this is the way we walk through this world and learn these lessons. But when I put infused true humanity on some of these insanely flawed male characters in the bible like who was it that went to go uh sacrifice his son and then god says don't do it abraham (laughs) like what if that guy was just being a total psychopath and like he had completely lost the plot and he forgot that god was love and he's up there on the mountain with all the voices telling him that he needs to do this to redeem himself or to make his life okay or to offer some burnt thing to God to make God happy. And what if God didn't just say, Oh, you don't have to do this. Well done. I'm so glad you were willing to kill your son. Like, I do not think that is the message of the story. I think God intervened to say, this is not how you acquire my love. This is not the sacrifice I require. Like that is not God's character to me. And I think that also well describes why God looks so different in the OT and the new T because (laughs) it's, it's just the way that it's being misrepresented. Like Jesus came to actually show us what it was all about. And what did he say? Love is the crux of everything. So all of that said, like, yeah, the Bible is insanely violent. Men of God who were supposed to esteem sent their daughters out to be gang raped to death. Like these are not honorable stories about the life-giving path of religious people. Like the Bible is a violent disaster and we should recognize it as such and recognize that our ability to think more intellectually and emotionally and spiritually about these huge life questions, like whether or not abortion is okay, or whether or not we should let in immigrants or any of these hot button topics, like 
just revel in the fact that we're humans and that we've evolved to this point where we are able to ask these existential questions and find those answers because it all has to come back to compassion and that includes towards yourself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Brenda, is there anything that like you want to address? Like you want to talk about regarding abortions? Like, (laughs) well, the funny thing is the only thing that pops in my head is that a lot of anti-abortionists in their quote so-called pro-lifers in their arguments they'll bring up like well if you can't afford a baby don't be having sex (laughs) and I think that is so disrespectful and awful and also again so antithetical to love like making love is the way you connect it is the most heaven-touching earth experience that we can have as human beings if done right and well and without shame and in that love so to say that it is an elitist activity that only rich people have a right to experience (laughs) that i'm just like you shut sit down shut up like (laughs) listen to what you're saying that's an awful thing to say like having this quote pro-life which is really a cause of so much death it's not only physical death of more abortions that are caused it's also like death and and discrimination against poor people really right, right. well <laughs> and rec- recognizing it as such is important i think a lot of those people that want to uh specifically reserve pregnancy and familial continuation uh for those that have money i think the same people it's also their scapegoat for having to actually do anything because mm-hmm. if they're if they're hill that they die on is about the hypothetical birth and hypothetical life of a fetus that may or may not come into full birth by the time the mother is done carrying that baby there's actually no work to be done because they don't have to do anything with it afterward they can they can pit all of their energy and all of their and all of their um, fight into into something that's that's a hypothetical while completely ignoring reality, ignoring the the actual people that are already in the world mm-hmm. that are struggling, just like you were talking about earlier, death row and and impov- people that are impoverished and dealing with anything that that has relevance to people that are here living out a human experience. And and I think and I think it's just it's another very elitist thing to be able to say that I'm that that somebody is so above having to deal with any sort of uh, hardship or having to deal with any sort of marginalization that that occurs in the real world that they can focus all of their attention on trying to stop a hypothetical situation from happening. <laughs> oh my gosh. Dang, yeah, if you put it that way. I also love the term used familial continuation. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I'm going to steal that. Yes, please. <laughs> I I think this is I mean, I know we've t- I've know we've touched on it, but I I think one of the main things that we keep or themes that, you know, we keep coming back to is like, you know, money and not being able to afford it. But there's so many reasons why women get abortions. It's it's health care. I mean, there for one, like people can get abortions because they physically like it could cause issues for them, the person carrying the the child. And I just, yeah, I just want to say for anyone who's like listening, like even if you can afford a baby, but right now is not a good time to have a baby or if 
you physically can't or physically don't want to, it is your choice. Um, and anyway, I just wanted that to be said because I, I don't want anyone to feel that if they got an abortion or if they're considering one and they're thinking, well, I technically can't afford it. Like, I don't want them to feel like that wasn't addressed. Like that's the only justification. Exactly. There are many, 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 many reasons why women do and can get abortions. Anyway. No, yeah, that's so important. And I'm glad you brought that up because you're right. And I think that that's why I continually go back to the notion of pregnancy prevention. Yeah. Because... You know, if you are someone who is finishing school or you're in a relationship that is not the healthiest or whatever the case may be, or you just don't want children, there are things you can do to prevent pregnancy that people are just not made aware of because Mm -hmm. of the systems that we have in this country. Yeah. But beyond that, you're right. And I think that it's. I, I'm thinking of this girl that I met. She's like, because it si- kind of seems like an outlier and maybe we should be having more conversations with women that just truly weren't feeling it. Because I frankly like can't relate to that completely. Um, my decision making like always would go back to fear. Like, oh, this isn't a good guy or what I can't do it or whatever. But like some women just genuinely don't want it. And um, I ran into this one girl and she had like a three-year-old and she told me that, you know, she was like, she had a huge career, like on the up and up. She was a rapper and she was collaborating with all these major artists and she got pregnant and her mom was religious and she said guilted her into having the baby. And she just looked at me and was like, I'm really miserable. I really hate it. I really don't like anything about it. And I don't know. I've seen TikToks with women that have talked about being the children of mothers like that and how it was very Mm. unpleasant. And they themselves are not anti-abortion for that exact reason. So those things exist too. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was some of the things that like we, I was getting in response was like, I had an abortion. I have a child already. And then I got an abortion after because you know, I, I honestly just want one child and am, is that so wrong? And, you know, anyway, anyway, I was just getting lots of responses and I just wanted to hold, like kind of create space for anyone listening. Um, yeah. and also understand that not just women get pregnant. So want to say that as well. Um, all right. Well, uh, I always appreciate your honesty and your authenticity, Brenda, um, just always like coming as you are as something I've always just admired in you. And I appreciate you um, being willing to have this conversation with us. Yeah, of course. I, I continue to just be excited about pushing all of these conversations because now that we have deconstructed so much and pointed out so much toxicity, the question really is what's next. And it's exciting because we're getting past the surface layers finally and going deeper and deeper. So even imagining that this conversation is something I'll feel differently about at a later point is, is exciting because it's Mm. just like, let's just keep going. Let's, dig in further and I'm so proud of you guys for making that same choice to just keep leaning into the gray yeah <laughs> there you go that's a great old plug my own segue boom <laughs> so yeah that being said um, if you guys haven't heard of God is gray 
I, you're wrong. I know you have. So um, <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll link all of her stuff down below in the description of the episode. Um, we thank you guys for listening. We love you. And until next time. Bye. bye.